Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. I'm going to ask you a really annoying question. Oh, geez. (laughs) What are we talking about today? (laughs) (laughs) So today we're discussing season one, episode 11, The Big Goodbye, Hmm. the one in which Bev gets cock-blocked is the working title (laughs) because our poor girl really thought she was going to get her some Captain Picard and Mm -hmm. did not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. This is also the one we could say in which Gates McFadden just serves face after face after face of just the most amazing expressions. I have so many screenshots of her from this episode. (laughs) Just amazing. She was a total mood the whole time. Yeah, she showed up in a big way in this episode. Oh, wonderful. And though, um, as you know, longtime fans of the show now will know, uh, this is this is a genre that you and I both absolutely hate. Mm-hmm. When uh, Picard goes into his Dixon Hill <laughs> escapades, <laughs> <laughs> I will say this episode was basically not problematic. You know, we can nitpick a few things, but there's mm-hmm. nothing really bad that happened mm-hmm. here. And I do feel like this is probably. Maybe the first episode where I felt like all of the actors were just having a blast and really like getting into it and letting themselves shine. So I actually had more fun than I thought I would. You know, the actors had two choices. It was like, (laughs) we look at the ridiculousness of this holodeck script and we just like, you know, grit our teeth and get through it. Or we just lean into it and have fun. And I, I I agree with your assessment that they just leaned into it and had fun. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate it because it made me have more fun mm-hmm. in an episode that I otherwise would have absolutely been, like, ripping my hair out during. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for yeah. that. Yeah. I, it was funny to read some of the reviews online of this episode because so many old school super fans were just like, I shouldn't like this episode as much as I did. Like it just, people were like, you know, this was a terrible episode, but I kind of liked it. (laughs) I feel like that's my review as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it was bad, but somehow I was like smiling the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's dig right in. Yeah. All right. So this episode opens with the crew of the Enterprise preparing for contact with the Harada, an insect-like race with a penchant for protocol. We learn that this means that Captain Jean-Luc Picard must deliver a precise greeting to the aliens in their complex and difficult language, and that the slightest mispronunciation will be regarded as an insult. So high stakes, folks. To that end, we join Counselor Deanna Troy with Picard in the captain's ready room, going over the rules of the Harada language. Picard seems super stressed about the whole thing, so Deanna suggests he take a break to avoid over-preparing. She tempts him by reminding him of the recent holodeck upgrade that he's been wanting to check out, and Picard just can't resist the pull to make his dick private, so off he goes. (laughs) 
And cue my heavy sigh. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Sherlock Holmes all over again. Mm-hmm. And did you notice oh. how some people say holodeck and some people say holodeck? <laughs> or ho- yes. holodeck? Like, I, I don't know. I, I always thought it was holodeck. Like, you kind of, like, well, holiday. Yeah, like a hologram. Hologram. But, but you don't say, like, a hologram. Anyway, <laughs> I had well, to find something to nitpick. this is a place where we have sensors, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Who knows? Our sensors on the holodeck. <laughs> Maybe O's work differently in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Picard goes to the holodeck and loads <laughs> the Dixon Hill program, landing himself in 1941 San Francisco, California. He walks through the holodeck doors into a hallway that contains the office of Dixon Hill, private investigator at the end, and walks on in. After ribbing him over his bellboy uniform, Dixon's secretary tells Picard that there's a lady called Bradley with nice stems in his office before she leaves for the (laughs) night. Picard then spends an inordinate amount of time looking at the Dixon Hill door, touching it lovingly, looking as though he might become overcome with emotion. Picard opens the door to Dixon's private office to the male gaze as we and he zero in on said pair of stems. We pan up to see the woman's face as she stares back at Picard. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just I keep laughing because I was like, if you were going to make a critique of the episode, you'd be like, you know, yeah, yeah it's very male gazey. But then I was like, it's male gazy in a period relevant way. So I was like, yeah. how do we, you know, how do we, how do we assess that? Because they almost are poking fun at it the whole time too. And that, that's why I really didn't have a problem with it. It's like, sure, you know, they're still doing it, which mm-hmm. could be critiqued, but it did seem very tongue in cheek and very like self-aware and yeah, like a critique on the genre. So I was like, I'm actually fine with all of this. The broad dramatically gets up and walks to look out the window while smoking a cigarette and reveals that someone is trying to kill her and she needs Dixon Hill's help to figure out who. She says she doesn't know who wants her dead, but gives a lead to Cyrus Redblock. Picard negotiates a fee of $20 a day plus expenses, and she gives him a C-note and a very lipsticky kiss, like, seriously, this girl needs to blot or something. You should not be leaving that much lipstick on another human being. on the side of his mouth to get him started. Picard leaves, giddy, just as a mysterious figure knocks on his door. Picard leaves the room before a strange little man comes into his office looking for him. Later, Picard is telling the bridge crew all about his experience in the conference room, excited like a little kid at Christmas, which I begrudgingly admit was a very cute moment. (laughs) Picard mentions there were automobiles in the street when he looked out Dixon's window, Lieutenant Worf mishears that as automobiles, and Lieutenant Data jumps in to define automobiles as an ancient Earth device used primarily for transportation, also seen as a source of status and virility, <laughs> often a prime ingredient in teenage mating rituals. <laughs> Acton Ensign and token teen Wesley Crusher then softly repeats teenage mating rituals with a little smile. And LMAO to this entire scene, mm-hmm. it was amazing. Highlight of the episode. It really was. Mm -hmm. 
Picard continues on quite animatedly remarking on the sounds, the smells, and Dr. Beverly Crusher says, you make it sound so real, as she gets up to pointedly wipe lipstick off his mouth with a big smirk. Sexual tension. Oh my god, these two, I was like, I will pay to watch you two fuck. It was so amazing, like the, because Picard for me often does not have, like, chemistry with people. Yeah. But ooh. The way he and Bev were smoldering at each other this episode, I was like, I am into it. Oh, yeah. Picard is not even embarrassed about having walked around with lipstick on his face. He's too excited, telling them he's going back, but dressed properly this time. While her hands are still on his face, he very pointedly asks Bev to go with him, and she responds, yes, with a smile and a slight giggle. Her smile quickly fades, though, as he continues on that he wants to invite the 20th century historian, Waylon, who just happens to be on board. That feeling when your date invites his friend. <laughs> or what you thought was a date turns into a group activity. Oh, she still she still keeps the date vibe going, though. Oh, she definitely does. Mm-hmm. I was like, girl, no one can fault you for not trying because she pulled out all the stops. Oh, yeah. Um, Picard finally remembers that they're at work and he's the boss, so he brings the meeting back to around to the Haradin rendezvous while everyone finishes giggling at his effusive boyish excitement over the holodeck. Commander Will Riker gives a briefing on the importance of this mission, so he again reminds us, the audience, of the delicacy of this contact, saying that a previous slip in the greeting caused a 20-year rift on a previous mission. Data stresses Picard out by talking incessantly about the tape of the previous captain's mistake, which we have the sense uh, maybe went viral, whatever that means in the 24th century. <laughs> but we get the feeling that everyone has seen this tape and has talked about it and uh, keeps asking quite emphatically if they should rewatch it. Picard looks like a deflated balloon by the time Data's done. <laughs> Helmsman, Jordi LaForge, and Data afterwards are talking in the hallway, and Data asks about the Dixon Hill character, finding out from Jordi that this was basically a 20th, 20th century Sherlock Holmes. Given that Data is was just obsessed with Sherlock, he's intrigued if their modus operandi differ and goes to read everything ever written about this character. In a pretty comical scene, really. <laughs> it was a pretty good scene. Yeah. Um, I also just love the little boy vibes of mm-hmm. Data in these episodes, mm-hmm. like just wanting so badly to like connect with Picard mm-hmm. over this stuff, you know? Um, it's yeah. very like Pinocchio to me in a way that's kind of cute. I kind of like it. Well, and it's also, it's kind of like that vibe of like when you're a kid and somebody that you look up to is into something and you don't realize how dorky it is <laughs> because you look up to <laughs> yeah. the person. So <laughs> like Data's like, I oh, this is what cool captains do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you nailed it. Like that's exactly the vibes of like, yeah, like when you're a kid and you just think your dad's really cool. Yeah. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, wait, my dad's a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also cool coming from two nerds, but you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you Uh just don't have that perspective of knowing that this is actually kind of dorky. My poor, poor children. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Oh, I love it. Um, Picard meets third wheel Waylon at the door to the holodeck, (laughs) excited to have friends along to share the experience with. 
Data shows up unexpectedly dressed like a 40s gangster and requests to come along, assuring them that he's totally versed in the genre of the period. Nice. There's an interaction of little consequence with the newsstand guy played by Dick Miller, whose name you probably don't know, but he's definitely one of those, oh, that guy actors. Mm -hmm. In this interaction, we learn that Picard doesn't know what baseball is. Also, I didn't mention this earlier, but he didn't know what Halloween was. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, And also in this scene, they start a running joke explaining Data's bizarre appearance to everyone in the program by introducing him as being from South America, (laughs) to which Mac, the vendor, hilariously replies, yeah, he's got a nice tan. I loved that part. (laughs) I know. In the most I don't buy it voice ever. Uh As Picard is looking through the newspaper, he got off Mac. He sees that the, the dame with the gams is dead. Picard is a bit freaked out by this, but is soon interrupted by two fucking pigs who come up to Picard and start grilling him on his whereabouts from the night before. Awkward. How do you explain, like, this place didn't exist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you think is last night? I was memorizing an unspeakable language. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you imagine if in his interrogation he started doing the the Haradan greeting? Oh, my to, goodness. Like, as his alibi? Oh, it would be so funny. Oh, One cop seems to have it out for Dixon Hill. The other cop seems much more friendly towards him, but is also very beta to the alpha cop. (laughs) So alpha cop tells Picard he's going downtown to be interrogated for the murder of Jessica Bradley. Waylon and Picard nearly piss themselves (laughs) with excitement. This, folks, is the epitome of white privilege. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, boy, we get to be interrogated. That's fun. At a real police station. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like upper class white privilege at its finest. Uh Back on the bridge, we find out the Enterprise is being probed long range. And suddenly the ship starts shaking violently. A pink light moves down the hallway and enters the holodeck control panel. So you know some shit's about to go down. The holodex doors start opening and closing, insinuating the controls have gone haywire. This timeline in this episode made no sense. So Picard oh, very specifically no. says before they go into the holodeck that the Haradan meeting is in 11 hours. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. So even though this meeting wasn't supposed to happen for another, I mean, even if we're being generous, maybe Picard's been in there for like half an hour but still, he should have like 10 or more hours left. The Haradas suddenly send a message to the Enterprise saying they're ready to hear the greeting in their language and are super pissed when Riker responds since he is not the captain. Riker tries to get them on screen to talk it out, but they're hella offended and hang up. Riker sends Jordy to f- find Picard in the holodeck. In this, you know, <laughs> weird time warp <laughs> where, where 11 hours takes five minutes. It's, uh, yeah, I was like, I just don't understand because if they just hadn't said how many hours, Mm -hmm. then it would have been fine. Yeah, you're right. He could have just been like, well, we have enough time. Yeah, yeah. He could have just vaguely said we have enough time. And then when all the issues started happening, you'd be like, also, I don't know why they just didn't wait for the Harada to like contact them after the, anyway, a little bit later, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because then it would have made sense. You'd have been like, oh, yeah, he's been stuck in there. He can't get out. Right. It makes sense that, like, the timing got fucked up. But anyway. But we should also be concerned if a long-range sensor scan can throw your entire holodeck (laughs) off and, you know, shake the whole ship. It's like, hmm, something's not working right here. 
Well, and it's like your question with the transporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, same question with probes and scans. Mm-hmm. Like, how can a scan alter programming on your ship? That doesn't, like, right. it doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. And it seems dangerous if it can. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that would be happening all the time. We see Beverly looking absolutely stunning in a blush pink dress suit with a big chic black hat, bright red lips, and her hair on full Irish glory. (laughs) She enters the holodeck after some trouble with the door. Bev joins the rest of the holodeck team in the police station, learning that Picard is being interrogated, and then, giving us delicious Dami energy as always, excitedly (laughs) tries to go get interrogated herself, saying, why should he have all the fun? Picard is indeed having fun, grinning ear to ear while the detective screams cliches in his face. Jordy is outside the holodeck, realizing that there's a big problem as he can't get into the program to pull Picard out. Riker, learning this, springs into action and is stopped by Wesley, who says he's extremely familiar with the holodeck and wants to help. Riker, of course, initially brushes him off until Deanna reminds him gently that Wesley's mom is in the holodeck as well. Riker softens and invites Wesley along. Wesley gives Deanna an appreciative look and she smiles kindly back at him. It's a nice moment. Hmm. Picard is starting to get bored of his interrogation, realizing that cops suck and are dumb. (laughs) Dan, the alpha cop, gets super pissed and pushes Picard back down in the chair when he goes to leave, but Beta Cop runs to his rescue, getting the alpha to leave the room and take a break. Beta apologizes to Picard, saying... Alpha's lady has been giving him a hard time and fucking ACAB, I hate cops so much. Yeah. Given domestic violence rates, it's like, is she giving him a hard time? Yeah. Or is he? Or is he giving just a her... horrible monster? Yes. Yeah. I'm especially on 10 today just because I've been dealing with the Amber Heard trial and all the fucking cops that came and showed up and like didn't even bother to take notes mm. and then that's used against her mm-hmm. as evidence that nothing happened to her mm-hmm. <sighs> i just can't <laughs> yeah mm. but it's like oh but you'll you know you want to defund us but if uh something happens to you you'll be sad we're not there and it's like stuff happens to us all the time and you guys don't don't do shit about it yeah or make it worse yeah yeah or are the cause of it <laughs> Anyway, moving on, my off my anarchist rant, <laughs> we get a really cute moment with Bev imitating an attractive young woman in the police station who is touching up her makeup until some disgusting pig hits on her. I don't know if I like Bev. I don't know if our politics line up. But when I tell you Gates McFadden was an entire mood this whole episode, the look of disgust on her face is priceless. When this guy says something gross to her, mm-hmm. she, for some reason, takes a piece of gum from him afterwards and then chews it and swallows it, a great not scene. knowing what it is. Mm-hmm. And again, Gates McFadden's look as she like swallows the gum is just amazing. <laughs> Riker and Wesley join Jordy down on the holodeck and our sweet baby boy jumps right to work. He apparently has to physically look into some weird contraption to find the anomalies by eye, which this seems like. Not how this would work, but okay. (laughs) Picard is finally let out of the interrogation. Patrick Stewart does an amazing job of smoking a cigarette for the first time. Right. And, you know, having the physical reaction that you would if you had grown up in a sterile, healthy environment. 
When asked what dame he's running off to see, Picard famously states, she's a lady, all right, and her name is Enterprise. Oh, my goodness. I literally thought he was going to mention Bev for a minute and then thought, oh, poor Bev. Poor Bev. Because <laughs> I'm like, you should be running out to meet her. You invited her. Uh, nope. He's just hanging out in a group. That's all. <sighs> yeah, that feeling when you, your crush invites you to something and then you just hang out with his friends the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Picard comes out of the interrogation room and spots Bev stunned as he should fucking be. (laughs) They move real close to each other, talking face to face. Picard tells her almost breathlessly that she wears it well, and he's glad that she can make it. She says, thank you, Mr. Hill, and I smell some spicy role play as a (laughs) foot. You know, funny, they never got to that in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, funny how that happened. Uh, Picard suggests that they should probably head back to the Enterprise, but Bev asks if there's time to see his office first, and he agrees, the air smoldering, crackling between them. Mm. Sparks are flying, but our two sidekicks, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, don't get the hint. Waylon and Data invite themselves along, and Bev is cock-blocked for the second time that day. Bev rolls her eyes, and Picard looks like he might cry. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, how do you then turn to your, you know, crew and be like, no. (laughs) right me and the doctor are gonna go make out yeah (laughs) get out of here (laughs) you guys stay here (laughs) uh they all go to dixon's office where that strange little man pops out apparently he's just been sitting there for like 20 hours Mm -hmm. yeah we find out his name is felix leach which is like the most hilarious classic bad guy name classic (laughs) it is very classic like 1930s Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. writing Picard tries to leave, but Leech pulls a gun out on him, and the group puts up their hands, grinning like little kids at being held up. Riker and company are still unable to fix the issue. Jordy says that they're speculating that the Haradin probe caused the trouble, which will make it even harder to find. <sighs> Mr. Leech, back in the holodeck, tells the holodeck group that Dixon was hired to find an item or an object for him and has failed to do so. Waylon plays at acting all tough, thinking there are no consequences, and Leech straight up shoots him in the stomach. The group is horrified to realize that the bullet was real, and Waylon's life is now hanging by a thread. They desperately need to get him to sickbay, but are still being held hostage by Leech. Like, I, I don't I don't understand holodeck reality. Because, like, if you're doing, like, um, rock climb... Well, okay, never mind. Let's, let's not go down this road right now, but... <laughs> But like, I know. Sometimes there are like safety mechanisms built into the program. Sometimes there aren't. Like, I don't know. Right. But I know. I have a lot of notes, so we yeah. will definitely talk about this. <laughs> okay. Picard clocks Leech, who runs away screaming that he'll be sorry for doing so. They try to exit the holodeck, but the doors aren't working and the computer is not responding to their commands. Leech comes back, this time with the infamous Cirrus, Cyrus Redblock. Not to be confused with Cyrus Cockblock. who is currently lying on the floor bleeding out (laughs) yes oh my god Um, who is a well-spoken crime boss of sorts he assumes Dixon wouldn't have hidden the item in his office but decides to have his thugs toss the room just in case Uh, Red Block lets the little weasel leech Pistol with Picard in the face just before Beta Cop stops by with some hooch. He's held under gunpoint by one of the thugs. 
They all chat for a while until Picard reveals that they, in desperation, that they are all from a different world and that Data reveals that the bad guys are all fictional characters in a simulation. (laughs) To which Bev hilariously in the background says, Data. (laughs) (laughs) That fucking kills me. Like, they didn't even show her. You just hear her say it. (laughs) (sighs) Data was so funny. He was like, um... He was just like this overeager puppy, just like so into it and jumping into every conversation. He was so into it. He was having so much fun. It was very cute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Leech Leech said he's heard enough and begs Redblock to let him shoot them all one by one. After some banter, Redblock instructs Leech to kill the woman and he holds the gun up to Bev's gorgeous face. Don't you dare fucking shoot her in the face, you goddamn monster. (laughs) Would you shoot the Mona Lisa in the face? What is wrong with you? She's a work of art. Picard says he has the item and tells Redblock he'll tell him everything if he tells Leech to back off Bev. He proposes a trade, the item for Whalen's life. On the bridge, Riker is trying to do damage control with the Haradans, but every time he tries to make contact, they just reply with an ear-piercing, staticky noise. In the nick of time, Jordy and Wesley ping Riker, saying they think they've figured it out. Conveniently, since this episode doesn't even seem interested in what caused the issue, <laughs> Riker tells them to skip the explanation and asks if they can do it. Which, I mean, at this point, you would really want that explanation. Be like, how he, did this yeah. captain get trapped in the holodeck? Like, we need to sort <laughs> this out. It just is such a funny moment of when you feel like the writers are speaking directly to you. It's like a fourth wall moment Mm -hmm, almost mm -hmm. where Riker's just like, don't even bother trying to explain. (laughs) We don't know. We just wanted this contrivance to happen. Mm -hmm. Move forward. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you absolutely would want to know what the fuck happened. Yes. Especially if you're about to make contact with these people (laughs) and like, you don't know if they did this on purpose. Right. Anyway, uh, Wesley says he doesn't know if they should do it as a mistake could abort the program and everyone inside of it could vanish. For reasons we do not understand. (sighs) Right. Again, I have notes on the whole holodeck Uh logic. But Riker offers more time, but Wesley says the risk is the same whether they do it now or do it later. So Riker says, do it. (laughs) Wesley fixes whatever the mystery issue was and a door to the Enterprise opens in front of the whole gang. Redblock tells Leech to come with him out of the door, ordering his men to kill everyone and hide their bodies after they leave. Once they get out into the hallway, Leech and Redblock slowly vanish, which I feel, again, would not be how it would work, but fine. Uh-huh. Data takes the leftover thug's gun and squeezes the barrel closed <laughs> and knocks the thug out with a punch and carries Waylon like a baby to sick bay. <laughs> and, and nerds everywhere cheered as Data gets to punch <laughs> out the bully. Yeah, with daddy's permission. That's right. (laughs) He got to have such a big boy moment. (laughs) Picard and Beta Cop share what I can only describe as a steamy goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, where did all this romantic and sexual tension come from? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not opposed. After which, Beta Cop asks if he and this world will continue to exist after Dixon leaves. And Picard quite apathetically says he doesn't know and then just leaves. Which is pretty fucking savage. Yeah, and also kind of glosses over like the one sort of interesting point that the whole episode might be able to make. <laughs> you know, about right. like the nature of existence. <laughs> exactly. 
Oh, Picard performs the Haradin greeting perfectly, and the finicky species is pleased. Riker asks how the holodeck program was, and Picard responds, nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to die there, which is basically how I feel about the Enterprise. Right. <laughs> Data gets yelled at for talking too much, and the Enterprise blasts off to their next adventure. The end. Uh, not a moment too soon for me i was like (laughs) news like how many times have i picked up my phone during this single episode i am so bored (laughs) i know it's so hard because i watch the episodes at least twice usually i'll just watch it once to like get vibes maybe take a couple notes on like talking points Mm -hmm. And then I go back through and write the recap. That's also when I pull screenshots and like audio clips for the podcast as well as our Instagram Mm -hmm. and like really pay attention to quotes and stuff. And this one I was like, oh, my God, I could have just watched this once. (laughs) You know, like it wasn't that deep. I don't have that much to say. I Mm -hmm. didn't really need to do all of that. But Mm -hmm. anyway. Yep. Yep. I would be curious. and I'll throw this out here. Um, if any of our listeners enjoy holodeck episodes, and if so, why? I would love to get some notes on that. If you want to shoot a message over to sauce.sep at gmail.com and explain to me why you like holodeck episodes, I'm very curious and would love to hear your thoughts because I don't understand. Yeah. The thing about Star Trek, well, TNG, I can't speak for other ones, that I think is my struggle with it, but I think is also why a lot of people like it, mm-hmm. is that it almost has like a stage play sort of feel to it. Yeah. It has like a drama kid feel. Yeah, especially during the fight You know, like everyone scenes. who, yeah, like, like most of the actors are like drama kids and then mm-hmm. like a lot of the writers are. So I think that's, I think that to me, the hol- I bring it up because the holodeck issue... The holodeck mm. episodes are like that vibe, and mm-hmm. I think that's why I don't like them. Mm-hmm. But why someone who's more theatrical and more into that kind of genre, I guess we'll say your medium, would like them because yep. for them it's like these actors get to play different roles and wear different costumes. And for me, I don't like that. I don't really want to see characters in um, acting differently or having like wildly different scenarios in that sense. Yeah. Like I like. This is my problem with, like, Brent Spiner being, you know, Data and also being Lore and also being Dr. Um, Soong. Is that his name? His creator. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think he's even, like, one other character. And I'm just like, I don't need that. I just want Mm -hmm. him to be Data. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all I want, you know? Yep. But I know for a lot of people, like, if you're into, like, acting and I think specifically, like, theater mm-hmm. that is actually exciting to you because you like you know you yourself maybe like to play different characters you like to see other actors play different characters and like just kind of have the fun be around like the different costumes and the different accents and all that yep. stuff and for me that is not not what i'm into yeah so anyway yeah i would be interested to hear from people who do like the holodeck episodes and if if what i just said resonates like is that part of why you're drawn to them like Mm -hmm. are you a theater kid and and it has that kind of vibe for you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and on that note i will say my big observation from the episode um and this of course goes i i suppose for all the holodeck episodes is it really seems prescient 
in the context that we have now of like immersive gaming and virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Like it does seem like they play into this idea that in the future we're not going to play video games like, um, you know, like Super Mario Brothers or whatever would have been out at, at the release date of this episode. But we're going to be, we're going to want immersive gaming experiences. And essentially there's so many ways in which the holodeck is an immersive gaming experience absolutely and i was thinking about i'm not myself a a gamer um and you're missing out i know i know but (laughs) i'm thinking of like games like assassin's creed or red dead redemption am i getting the names right here um (laughs) these these are games you're doing good Isn't it funny when you're a nerd, but then you're not a nerd in certain ways? I know. I feel like, yeah. so I feel so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't even be allowed to say these names. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I'm going to get run out of this podcast on a rail. People are going to not stand for this. What? He's not a gamer? Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Dislike. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sauce.sep is going to get hit with Sauce. so many Sep. angry messages. I know. I know. Um, I'd be happy with any messages, angry or not. You know, it's it's fine. (laughs) Um, I just want to know we exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) But I was just thinking about those games. The idea is, in many ways, you're you're the lead actor in a film. You know, and you're kind of you're kind of uh, existing in this world, which is kind of what the holodeck does. You know, it drops you into a scenario, and you get to act out the scenario. Um, like, I think that's kind of cool, you know? Um, Absolutely. And I also think that, that I, I mean, I always think futurists are kind of weird people, like people who predict, you know, predict the future and stuff. But I think that in many ways, the people who are best at predicting it are the ones who didn't set out to predict, like Gene Roddenberry and company. I don't think they set out to predict what the future was with the holodeck. I think they were just projecting kind of their own ideas of wouldn't it be cool if you were on a spaceship and you needed some R&R if you had this kind of mechanism. Um, so to me, the holodeck in that sense is kind of like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and then in other senses, I'm like, but that's not why I love Star Trek. Like I, I love, mm-hmm. you know, the zipping through space and exploring things and, um, you know, not going and doing cosplay for 45 minutes so you know exactly (laughs) yeah and it's i i think what bothers me about the holodeck is it's always like you were saying i i do think the concept of it a makes sense and b is kind of fascinating like if you were stuck on a ship in space psychologically how do you fucking deal with that oh exactly Right. Especially being, you know, species and people from all over the galaxy. And so, yeah, the idea that you could go into this program and you could feel like you were home or feel like you were somewhere else for a little while makes a lot of sense and is kind of interesting. But I feel like they never use it in that way. The way they use it is to pull us back into just these like tired tropes that have been explored a hundred times you know yes we get pulled into stand-up comedy don't get me started <laughs> that episode <laughs> oh um we get pulled into sherlock holmes we get pulled into dixon hill we get you know like we get fucking Riker going to jazz clubs and like hitting on women who don't exist it's just like 
this is not like this isn't doing anything new and it's not doing anything interesting and it's not world building. Yeah. There may be slight character development maybe that happens sometimes. Um, like in this episode, we got to see really see the chemistry that Bev and Picard have. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Uh-huh. But like we could have done that in any there you know, are other ways of other to do ways. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what bothers me about it is it just feels like this way that mm-hmm. they're not comfortable just being in the future and just really right. exploring what that means. And no one is going to, you, you just made a great point. No one's going to use the holodeck in the ways that they show them using the, <laughs> like, let's be honest, you know, I mean, this is not a PG rated podcast, so I could, like, people would be doing weird sex shit oh, in the that's holodeck. Why the fact that anyone can just walk into your program while you're in I, there, I'm like, I don't fucking think space. so. No. <laughs> I don't think no. so. <laughs> and, like, people would be doing funky stuff. People would be, like, doing, artificial worlds like you would have to put limits on that thing because you know i'm sure that otherwise there would be massive problems with holodeck usage and (laughs) yeah there'd probably be holodeck addiction of course there would be oh for sure yeah because can you imagine if you could just walk into a world and make i mean this is i feel like this is what science fiction was like invented to do Yes. To talk about the dangers of being able to walk into it's like in this meta way, they like completely ignore all the rules of science fiction. <laughs> yes. And even like I feel, you know, someone like Wesley Crusher, I feel like he would be in there like literally running um simulation. Like he would be like doing science in the holodeck. He'd right. be using it, you know, to run like simulations and scenarios and work out new theory. I just think yeah, people would be using it for, first of all, gnarly stuff, mm-hmm. nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would be using it for escapism mm-hmm. and to cope with being in space mm-hmm. and just to cope with, like, life as a human or yep. life as a sentient being. And then I feel like people would be using it for interesting science stuff. Mm-hmm. And we don't see any of that ever. Yeah. You know, I I shouldn't say ever. There, I, There's one episode where I feel like the holodeck was used well. An episode I'm very excited to talk about. I don't remember what season it's in. Um, where, you know, essentially someone who is sort of like an incel vibes mm. uh, uses it to create... <laughs> he he recreates uh, his co-workers and then uses a holodeck to yes. make them nice to him. Yes, I know the episode you're talking about. Yes, and I feel like that episode is actually super interesting. Because that is what we would be using. I mean, somebody would be doing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, if you have a crush on your coworker or someone on the ship, like, and you're someone with bad boundaries and a sense of entitlement, you're going to go program that person in the holodeck to, like, be your lover or be your whatever, you know? It's that kind of weird stuff would be happening. So... It's like, yes, like, I just wish, I wish they used the holodeck less in the first place. And, like, when they did use it, I wish they used it in the way that they used it in that episode. Or even, um, even the episode with, um, the horribly racist episode that we talked about, I think it was episode three. I was like, which one? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really narrow it down. Uh, but, you know, when, like, Tasha Yar was demonstrating Aikido in the yeah. holodeck like yeah, that was cool. interesting mm-hmm. that's cool but it's like yeah i just i just feel like too often it's just this way for them to be like hey old-timey man stuff let's just yeah exp- 
do that, you know? And it's like, I, I don't want to be on this ship hundreds of years in the future, traveling across the galaxy to see you play Dixon Hill. Which it's, it has the, it's the clip show of the Star Trek series where you're just like, fuck, I have to watch this because something (laughs) funny might happen, you know? And it did. And it did. To be fair. Yeah. And it did. But also I'm just like, "Ah." but you know, I I was thinking about this too, because the, the idea, like as, as an historian, like that's something that would interest me is like being able to go back to a certain time period in history and, you know, like smell the smells or, you know, hear the sounds and do this. So I I don't think it's like outside the realm, but I I really don't get the obsession with like, and maybe this is an artifact of 1988, um, but this obsession with like, you know, 40s and 50s America or, you know, like I I just, I don't think that it would invoke in Picard that kind of sense because it's not he didn't live through that and experience that firsthand so I don't see why he would be so connected to it or or like you know I I don't even get the sense that anybody on the Enterprise would have intensely studied 1940s San Francisco you know what I mean so it's not like it would even have that appeal whereas like if it was a a certain time period that you had studied as a researcher or that you had read a lot about or that your grandfather or great, great, great grandfather came from, you know, you might be like, oh, I want to go back and live this and see what it's like. But I'm like, Dixon Hill, San Francisco, 1941, why? Like, this is not convincing mm-hmm. to me that that anyone would want to go back to this time except for some of the writers on the on the writing team. Yeah. You know. And that's why it bothers me because it doesn't feel authentic to the characters. Exactly. It feels like the writers are fanboying over their favorite stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the issue because I was like I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind it if it, the obsession was actually what the characters would have been obsessed with. Then it then it right. would be kind of cool. Cuz Picard is in his heart an archaeologist. Uh-huh. So like I could see him using it, the simulator to recreate like a famous archaeological dig and to be part of that yep. or some, you know, or something like that. Yeah. That would be interesting in character building and very human, you yeah. know, because they do. I think part of why they use the holodeck is to humanize some of these characters yeah. that like have been built up of these unknowable male authority figures. And so to see something like that, you know, I mean, I can't fault like, if you look at it, the holodeck, the way it was used in this episode is kind of like an escape room. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Or like a, a murder mystery dinner party. Yeah. You know, because it is like a game. And so I, you know, I'm not going to fault Captain Picard for being into that. Not at all. But like you said, it just feels a bit sloppy. Like that's why I made the notes about him not knowing what Halloween was and not knowing what baseball was. Right. Or who Joe DiMaggio was, because it's like, well, if he's this into this genre, if he's this into this time period, he would have heard these terms. Like, he would know what these things were because they would be in the text that he supposedly has read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To have this, you know, special interest. So Mm -hmm. I don't understand. I don't know. It just kind of like little details like that. It's like, yeah, it's not a big deal and I can let it go. But at the same time, it is very telling mm-hmm. that this is not something that the writers thought about deeply as like part of Star Trek's character development. Mm-hmm. It was more like, I think this era is cool. I'm into these things. Yes. And so I want to have them on the show. Yeah. And and to to look at the other side of that coin, the flip side of that, well, I think it kind of 
in my opinion, I don't like it as a Star Trek thing. It, yeah, it is really fun, and and they, and it's funny, and the way that they write it is mm-hmm. really funny. You know, like Max saying like, you know, yeah, he's got a nice tan. You know, that's hilarious <laughs> to me. And um, there's a, there's a part where the really eloquent um, gangster Red Block, where he's he's talking about Newtonian physics, and that's really funny to me because I think a key premise of um, Star Trek style. Uh, space travel and and like intergalactic space travel I think has to bend some of the rules of Newtonian physics if I'm not mistaken and a real mm. super nerd can correct me on this um I'm I, I didn't get any of the smart parts of being a nerd just the <laughs> just, <laughs> just the dorky parts just the, just the socially unacceptable parts. yeah but um but like I like I think in my mind I was thinking oh that's really funny that the gangsters like doubling down on Newtonian physics in a case where some of the principles of Newtonian physics might be stretched or bent a little bit, um, mm. you know, for for Star Trek universe to exist. So, like, that's funny. Like, it's the the writers in that sense are self aware and they're witty and, um, you know, yeah. In a strange way, I would say this is like probably the best written episode that we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, right, right, and like data it switching. It really is well written yeah yeah it's tight it's concise Uh even though they don't bother to explain what happened with the holodeck they really didn't even need that to happen no they mentioned that the holodeck just got an upgrade so it could have just been you know when when software gets an upgrade yeah shit sometimes goes wacky and so it could have just been that (laughs) which would have been a more plausible Um, explanation actually (laughs) right (laughs) but that's why like that didn't bother me i don't really even consider that bad writing necessary it's a bit lazy mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh it was fine to me that they're like we don't even want to get into explaining why it happened or mm-hmm. like you know because i do feel the episode had amazing dialogue mm-hmm. i mean it had a hundred quotes like yep so many good one-liners or so many good back and forth little moments uh the characters were all on point everyone mm-hmm. was like consistent mm-hmm. and like fully in their character so it's like this weird thing that it's like this thing that i hate mm-hmm. It, you know, in the in the conceptual understanding of it, like I don't feel that it adds to the show, mm-hmm. and yet I can also say it was like a very well written episode, yeah, and very well acted, as all the episodes are. But like I feel, especially this one, people were just like, just like in the zone. I felt like everyone just had mm-hmm. really good chemistry. Everyone was like in the pocket of mm-hmm. what the vibes were and what they were doing, yep. and. So I feel like that's why I have this weird conflicted feeling of like, I hate what this episode was. And yet I was smiling the whole time I watched it. Yes. Yes. That is the painful, that is the painful reality. Is <laughs> that that it is the pain, pain. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty engaging. It, it's, it, it is pretty funny to watch. Yeah. 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 Um, on top of all of what we just said about the holodeck. Yes. What the fuck is the holodeck? <laughs> like, first of all, are we gonna do, how, are we gonna do this now? We can, and then and then we can just replay this for all future holodeck episodes yes. too, right? Okay, all right, yeah, go for it. So, how are things like real? First of all, how do you have like you're creating like for Picard to get lipstick on his face that persists when he leaves the holodeck? Uh, yes, you Same just created thought. matter. Yes. That is a big fucking deal. And but but the gangsters disappear when they leave the holodeck, but the lipstick doesn't. Right. What about the bullet inside Waylon? Is the bullet inside Waylon does it disappear as soon as he leaves the holodeck? That's an amazing question. 
so many questions mm. so like just the physic just the um the the science the physicality of the whole thing like you should not you should not be able to create physical matter first of all i don't know how that would work maybe it could work somehow in some future space way i don't know but you certainly should not be able to cuz i know like then the holodeck wouldn't like work if you couldn't go in and sit on a chair or sit on a rock or whatever but like when you think about it it's like how though how is it creating physical yeah matter yeah or or manipulating physical matter so mm-hmm. that you can engage with it physically but like beyond that it certainly should not be actually creating real physical matter that you then that then like persists outside of that world so that's like concerning also this is the first sign that we get that um the simulation the fictional characters in the holodeck are sentient because you have this character like if a character is programmed sophisticatedly enough to question his own existence that's a sentient being yes and so that and picard's just kind of like uh you might die not sure bye later (laughs) and just leaves and never thinks about it again yeah it's like, so every time you run a simulation, are you creating life that you then just snuff out out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. And what are the implications of that? Especially when we think about fucking creeps like Riker who go in there to have relationships with these like holodeck women mm-hmm. to whatever extent he does. We don't know if he's like fucking them. Can you fuck I know. someone in the holodeck? It seems like if if they if you can engage with them physically, I don't see why you couldn't fuck them. Yeah. So, like, what are the implications of that? You're cre- you're generating women to like have romantic or maybe even sexual uh, interactions with that then just cease to exist mm-hmm. once you leave the room. Mm-hmm. That's fucking crazy. And you can get <sighs> shot and killed. Like, this is this is a huge problem. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, yes. Well, that's what I mean. Is like it shouldn't. Like, I, I get that they were trying to say that whatever happened to the holodeck, it, like, made things real, and mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, there's supposed to be safety protocols. To me, it seems very Westworld. It mm-hmm. seems like this isn't a simulation. I mean, it is a simulation, but it's but it's almost like these things are real, and it's just by the programming that they're not dangerous. Versus I always assumed the holodeck like was not real. Like you go in, you can see things, but it's like walking through virtual reality, right? Like you can wear virtual reality goggles. You can feel like you're there, Mm -hmm. but you can't physically interact with like you can't actually when you reach out your hand, you can interact with the virtual. um, Yeah, the virtual space environment. But like you are not actually you're not like taking the goggles off and then you're holding whatever you are holding in the, you know, it's yeah. not physically being manifested. So I always thought of it that way. is like Same. you're seeing stuff. Like, like almost like when and you're engaging in... with programs, right? Yeah. Like they're programmed to talk to you or whatever. Right. And maybe they're pumping in smells and you're having the sounds and mm-hmm. smells and mm-hmm. the sensory input. Mm-hmm. But, but the, this episode made it seem like these things are being somehow physically manifested and it's only that it's programmed to not hurt you that it doesn't hurt you and whatever happened to the holodeck overrode those programs so like that's what i mean by the westworld comparison mm. 
of like, you know, these things are real. These are robots that have been created for your enjoyment. The only thing that keeps them from slaughtering you is the program programming that we we built them with. Mm-hmm. Which is frightening. Which is a whole different thing. Yeah. And again, opens up as Westworld was like the whole point of that show is to explore the ethics of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Star Trek, it's just like, la, la, la. Like the holodeck <laughs> is just this, you know, neutral space where you can do anything and it doesn't matter yeah. and has no moral ramifications. And it's like, this is not surprising considering everything we've critiqued in the following or the previous 10 episodes that we've talked about, right? This is very in line with this white man colonizer Mm -hmm. mentality of like the past is in the past and you can do stuff and then you just don't have to think about it anymore. The holodeck is in line with that of like, like Picard's response to beta cop. I'm sorry. I don't know your name. uh, At the end when he's like, you know, will my wife and kids be there when I get home? What will happen to this world when you leave? And Picard's like, shrug emoji and just leaves yeah. and does not even look back to like you, you know like look back like i'm acknowledging your fucking like you just expressed sentience to me and this is a big deal and i might be killing you by leaving this room yeah <laughs> i got questions <laughs> i got a lot of questions it it's it goes to that point it exists and therefore it must be good because mm-hmm. the federation made it exist and that's oh yeah yeah that's kind of the the premise there and it would that's be, like the the original sin i think of star trek yeah yeah i mean like kind of like our conversation about the replicators too you know mm-hmm. yeah and like medical supplies and transporters and i don't mind the thing is i love suspending a bit of reality you know what i mean absolutely like, and i sign me up for it and i always thought of the holodeck as sort of like a next level VR helmet. So mm-hmm. instead of actually having to pull the helmet over your face, I would think you just Yeah, you walk into you it. walk into the room and suddenly you're wearing the clothes. Like the idea that Picard has to go in there dressed and like why? You should just Dude, walk I made in a note that of happens. that. Like yeah, what is that? Mm-hmm. And like like why wouldn't you just have clothes projected onto you? And exactly. and again talking about the world building, where did he get those clothes from? Right. Like, do you get them from, from the a replicator? replicator? Do you? That's did exactly he, what I wondered. Like, where did Bev get her clothes from? Mm-hmm. Like, how did? How are these things made? On such short notice. Yeah. Yeah. And to such specific, accurate detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be very hard for them to have, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of years in the future. It's like yeah. us having pretty accurate clothing from like the 1600s or something. Right. And. And that's and so that's what I what I like about the holodeck is this idea that I'm totally prepared to entertain the idea that something like it could exist. I, like I, I'm I'm yeah, down same. for that, and I'm glad Absolutely. that they have it. I'm ready to do that, especially in the way that you talked about, like with the Aikido training session, or with mm-hmm. somebody making like a Sims type situation where they basically just create like a, a different world. <laughs> I, I I don't know this situation though. It, it, it's yeah, it just gets a little bit weird when don't bring up the question. Don't have the character ask Picard, <laughs> <Exactly>. am I sentient? <laughs> if Picard's right. going to be like, I don't know, later. You know, <laughs> it's so <laughs> right. weird. So why did you why did you ask the question if we weren't going to, if that wasn't exactly. going to be part of the episode? 
That's what I'm saying is like, this is where Star Trek just fucking TNG just gets me mm-hmm. like mad over and over. It's like, mm-hmm. I am fine with the fact that you guys were a serialized TV show. You had like 28 fucking episodes a season or mm-hmm. however many you know, and you, you're, like, on a timeline. You can't really rewrite. Like, you have to get these episodes out. I get that. Yeah. Like, that is fine. But just don't don't be that person who right at the end just shoves in this thing that just fucks with everyone's brains and, like, adds all these ethical questions. Yep. If they had just had Picard leave. Yep. Or like, He could have just said end program, and we could have been back in the holodeck, and he could have kind of looked around wistfully... Yeah. You know, like, oh, I had a fun time yeah. and a little awry and left like that would have been fine. But they had to add in that weird fucking moment yep. of this guy like having this existential horror yep. of like, I think I'm about to die. Yeah. Yeah. You- <laughs> and Picard just being like, well, See ya. <laughs> I got to go be a captain. So sorry. Yeah. I, you could have ended it even on like a, a light note of like, well, I'll see you next time or yeah, whatever, that's or until I- our next adventure, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He could have said some old timey thing like "see you next time, kid" or you know yeah. whatever, and like walked out, and that would have been fine. Yeah. But yeah, they had to add in this one thing, and then you're like, "Wait a minute, that's what you guys think this thing is doing?" Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. Kind of creepy. <laughs> a, little, a little weird. Um, and then my last thought on the holodeck, and then we can move on, is uh, how the, I guess similar line of questioning, but how the fuck could people in the holodeck disappear again mm-hmm. what is the holodeck actually what is it yeah <laughs> because what is again it? that means that it can it can do something to physical matter mm-hmm. if people like think about that putting on a virtual headset and like somehow your head disappears like that's not possible no right no nor is maybe it desirable you could go crazy <laughs> you know maybe like you could get brain damage. Maybe you could lose your sight. Like these are things that maybe could happen, but like, you're not going to like lose your head mm-hmm. because someone rebooted a program. So right. I'm just like, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, and it didn't have to be that high stakes, honestly. No, I, I think that had to be a note that, that someone who wasn't a real sci-fi person attached to the show forced onto mm-hmm. the episode though to to try to add some dramatic tension to it i think so for sure because although it just doesn't it just doesn't fit otherwise it all just kind of goes off the rails yeah it does but again whatever mm-hmm. you know yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like i'm not actually that bothered but nope. i do think that it just poses a lot of very concerning questions mm-hmm. that i feel that you know tmg just never sits with well, even the name of the episode is The Big Goodbye. So, yeah. you know, like they put all the emphasis on that, like eight seconds of, yeah, anyway. Because like even Leech and Redblock walking out into the hallway and they have like, they exist in the hallway for a I for know, a that bothered me too. I was like, they, the, the second they step into the hallway, they should just disappear. Yeah. And they're like aware that they're- yeah. It's like a whole new world erased. to rob. <laughs> you know? But I mean, they're also aware of the fact that they're dying. Yeah. They're like, what is this? That they exist and that their existence is ending. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that. I mean, that's literally like the the keystones of like sentient life yet again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more and more creepy the more you talk about it. <laughs> I know. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you, everyone. And I just yes. wish I hadn't gone there because I yeah. don't want to nitpick. I, I know. know people are going to be like, really, mm-hmm. but it's true. I mm-hmm. don't want to nitpick. But this episode sets a very concerning precedent for yes. future episodes. Yes. This episode, when I think about these things. I cannot then again see Riker sitting at a jazz bar hitting on a woman. I mean, that to me would be annoying no matter what, but like. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's not, it's not a, neutral in any way. It's not neutral. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like, I have larger questions about what is actually going on there and the mm-hmm. power dynamics yes. and, you know, what is happening to these mm-hmm. people who yeah. are now essentially being, instead of just being programmed projections mm-hmm. that you interact with, like you said, like in a video game or something, you know, these are these are potentially people who are being created and killed on a regular basis. Yep. For someone's pleasure. Yep. And that's like kind of like a literally a whole other thing. Oh. That now oh, I yeah. can't I can't I can't unknow that. Right. I can't watch an episode and unknow that that's what's happening. Yeah. Or potentially happening. You know? Yep. And again, I know I think some of this is supposed to be encapsulated in this episode. Like, I think we're supposed to believe that a lot of what happens is because of whatever this error is, Uh you know, whatever happened to the holodeck. But it still raises a lot of questions that they, they don't define it well enough. And there's stuff that happens in future episodes that kind of, again, I mean, shows that they are creating sentient life in the holodeck. And I mean, that's, that is fucking Westworld. We have Westworld on the Enterprise and no one talks about it. it. Yeah. And it never, never gets discussed. No. And I'm like, fuck, I want to see a robot revolution. Then I want to see people's heads on sticks. Oh, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect, Nick, because you basically set me up for my episode rating. All right, let's hear it. Yeah. So my episode rating um, comes from Picard. And it is... He said a lot of things. He said a lot of things. The one that that helped me rate the episode was, actually, I do need to get out of here. That's how I felt watching this episode. I was like, actually, I I need to get out of here. This is... This is is too much. Like, the more I thought about, you know, the the termination of sentient life, the more I thought about the holodeck, I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm... (laughs) I can't keep doing this. <laughs> that is such a good rating. That is such a mood. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I was like, this is a stupid holodeck episode. I don't want to have to be thinking about right. it this hard. But you guys, you know, like, I can't not think about it because this is quite chilling mm-hmm. and has long-term ramifications. It does indeed. Well, okay, so my rating is just going to make sense or it's not. I don't even think I can explain it. Okay. Are you ready? I'm re- much like the holodeck, yes. <laughs> Right. But you spell knife with a K. I spell knife with an N. (laughs) Are you giving this episode an N? (laughs) For no. I don't know for anything. (laughs) I was like, what even is that exchange? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
That's why that was my rating because I'm like, what is this what exchange? Even is this? Yeah, what even is this? It's like so random. Oh, that's great. Uh, Deanna was just like laughing her ass off when he said that. Uh-huh. And I'm like, girl, it was not that funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, somehow this is just the mood that I had for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a lot of other good choices too. What are some of your honorable mention quotes here? Because you said you had a lot of good quotes. Uh, there are a lot of good quotes. So... <laughs> All right, so it's not necessarily a quote. It was kind of a moment, but not you, her. When the secretary was talking about how uh, Miss Bradley had nice legs. Oh, yeah, and Picard looks down. Because she was like, oh, there's this dame in your office, you know, blah, blah, blah. She wants to talk to you. And then she goes, nice legs. And Picard looks down at his legs. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And she goes, not you, her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I just thought it was very funny. Um, again, the scripting was quite good. Uh-huh, like the uh-huh. dialogue was quite good. There were so many snappy little things. I also really loved when um, Data or Waylon, I can't remember. I think it was Waylon, told Bev that Picard was getting grilled. And she goes, what is he, a fish? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Just the way she delivered it was perfect. Like it's kind of a corny line that shouldn't work, uh-huh. but it did uh-huh, for me. Uh-huh. Um. I think probably uh, one of my, uh, this was almost my rating. This was like a second runner up. I admire your skill in trying to obfuscate our sense of reality. Oh, that's a, it's oh, like, okay. That's a good, oh, that really, that good should be the too. rating. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it like makes the most sense, but I just like had to vibe with knife with a K and with an N because I know. that's like, because how can you not when they just <laughs> serve it up for you like that? I know. Um, I think I'm not Dixon Hill. I just look like Dick- Dixon Hill was another one that could have been a rating. Well, th- these could all be words of wisdom, too. Yeah, they're all words of wisdom. They all kind of just worked in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think maybe uh, my last one is life is an endless stream of choices. Unfortunately, you've chosen to make my life more difficult. That cracked me up. How they, <laughs> was a good one. How they wrote Red Block was really funny. Like, he had these great it lines. It was. And he, yeah. he was so hilarious. He like has that line about good manners, and and then he's like, you know, throw the body in the trash or whatever. Like it's just, it's like, <laughs> and I liked that. Um, you know, obviously they were trying to have his character contrast that he's like a crime boss, mm-hmm. who you would expect to be kind of like not well read, mm-hmm. not have a big vocabulary, with this guy who like clearly is very well read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm you know, has, but is like also really cool. But I feel like they pulled it off well enough that it did actually add to his menace rather than just being sort of a joke. Yeah. I felt like it did actually make him more threatening and more menacing Mm -hmm. because you do also not expect someone who, you know, I don't know, like it is talking almost very philosophically and in this very worldly way to also be like, yeah, throw their bodies in the trash, you know? Yeah. So it was a good juxtaposition that I think could have been very tropey and cliche, but I feel like they actually pulled it off. And the actor, too. I feel like the way he delivered his lines was, like, really made it work. And I I like that. I also wrote, like, good manners are never a waste of time. Yep. Because the context in which that was delivered mm-hmm. had those vibes to it, mm-hmm. right? Where yep. he's, like, threatening them in their lives, but also, like, talking about how you should always have good manners, yep. you know? I hate how well written this episode was. 
My, um, <laughs> it's like... my words of wisdom were Data's description of an automobile. Oh my god! <laughs> and then and then Wesley going teenage mating rituals <laughs> with his little smirk. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's so funny with Wesley too because I couldn't. I watched that um, moment a couple times because I pulled. I actually recorded that to like put that clip on Instagram. Uh-huh. So I, you know, like ended up rewinding it a couple times to like get it and get the timing right. And I could just even after watching it a few times, I could not tell if Wesley was like intrigued uh-huh. or if he just thought it was or funny. just giggling. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> I kind of got the giggly vibe out of it. Like the, he was just. There's like a little smirk, uh-huh. but like also just kind of giggly. Yeah. Like, you know, just teenage boy humor. Yep. Like, oh, making <laughs> rituals. Yeah. <laughs> Penal Because I'm like, I'm like, we've seen you on the sex planet. Yeah. Young sir. Yeah. And we know that you are scared of the puss. Uh-huh. So don't. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want this to be a moment where he's like, oh, like just being all horny. Yeah. Because it's like. That's not your character, but I think it was just more like huh, he's talking about sex stuff. <laughs> and I, I I do love those moments when they don't always get it right, but this time it worked really well when they're describing something that would have been like culturally just part of the norm in the era that the show was released, but they describe it in anthropological terms to make it sound silly. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yes. I love it when they get the tone right on that because they don't always. Sometimes it's just like, oh, that's so clunky or stupid. But like that one was hilarious. Like a measure, was... a measure of virility and like <laughs> important in teenage mating rituals. I was just like, oh, that's so funny. And the way that Data delivered that line uh-huh. was just perfect yeah. it just yeah they it's true when they when they nail it oh it's so good it and this episode they did manage to do that yeah i think in that moment in particular but like in other ways too and it just i was like well like again even with the male gazy mm-hmm. you know opening the office door and the you see the woman's like high-heeled shoes in her calves mm-hmm. which should be offensive but it just was like the context in which they did that just worked you know to be like yeah it was comical Mm -hmm. and picard you know it's also the it was i can understand why i hate that picard was wearing his uniform Mm -hmm. because it doesn't make sense to holodeck logic Mm -hmm. but i do understand it from a writing perspective like again him opening the door and that being the scene, but you see him in a Star Trek uniform. Right. That's what makes the scene work. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's what makes it not offensive. Yeah. It's like you see him and it's just like he's caught in this set. It's almost like he's in a TV show mm-hmm. of this genre from a TV show of another genre. Mm-hmm. And that makes it funny. And that makes it what it's like kind of a satire or a critique of that genre. It was well done. I have to say... The more we talk about this episode, the more, the more you're I'm liking like, it. This is actually a really good fucking episode. Yeah. I'm not saying I liked it, <laughs> but I'm saying I respect it. I think, especially for, for the episodes we've seen so far, I think this one shows the, you know, I'm going to say Star Trek is inconsistent, so it's not like they ever get to a place where the writing is always super tight and great. Right. But I think this is the first episode where we've seen more technically what makes us love Star Trek in mm. later seasons. Mm. You know, the the actors, like, really being in the pocket, mm. the tight writing, 
you know, the great dialogue, the consistency across like what they were trying to do. Like this, this episode did have, you know, the B plot, but it didn't distract. Like we've seen in other episodes where it feels like three or four stories yeah. stitched together. Mm -hmm. This one felt like one yep. cohesive story. Yep. Um, and they didn't waste time. Like Riker didn't really have much to do. No, even though he opens um, the episode other than that. Yeah. It's not. They used all of the characters that weren't in the primary story really well without like dragging out stuff that we didn't need to be involved in. Yep. Like Deanna had great moments, but she was only in like three scenes. Mm -hmm. Wesley had great moments, but he was only in a couple scenes. Like they used everyone really, really well. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is like as much as it pains me to say, I do think this is an episode that shows us the technical skills of the show that actually are the foundation of why we love the show, mm -hmm. even if the theme and topic of this episode was not to our liking. You know what? You've got me convinced. I <laughs> I, I think I, I wrote That it you off. spell knife with an N? Yes. <laughs> knife with an N. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> well... Did we say all we had to say? We, Did you get all your words of wisdom out? We said all the things we had to say, except Norfgurf. Poor Patrick Stewart, who has to stand and deliver this, like... <laughs> I know. I'm like... He committed to it, too. He, he did. He went in all it. in. Like, he must have rehearsed that many times it just was and my favorite i forgot to mention this but one of my absolute favorite parts of the episode was deanna behind picard while he's doing the greeting mouthing mouthing it. along <laughs> like That's a so parent great. at a like child's like play the concert you know <laughs> and then she was just so proud of him when he did it uh, <laughs> and oh. i'm like you know again also what was great about this episode with them using everyone really well is that you saw the value in the labor of Deanna Troy. Yeah. Oh, that's right? a really good Like point. you saw, she knows how to say this stuff. Mm -hmm. She could do the greeting herself, mm -hmm. but she has to train the Picard. And not only does she have to teach him how to do it, but she has to like tutor him. Yep. Right. She has to like be there while he's practicing. And like, she has to encourage him. She has to do all this emotional labor. She has to suggest that he take a break. Yeah. You know, and like maintain his like mental state and manage his stress. And I was like, this is such a good, it, it was so quick, but it was such a good example of like the, the work that Deanna actually has to do on the ship. Such a good point. It, God damn it, Mike, was this a good episode? This episode keeps, it just keeps getting better and better. The more we talk about it, the more we try to hate this episode, the better it keeps getting. I'm so mad about what it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay. Oh, well, everyone well, can just enjoy listening to us be conflicted over this episode. <laughs> right. Having to begrudgingly admit this is like an actually really good episode. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh. You know what? Tell us tell us what you think over at sauce.sep. Yeah. Yeah. I actually would. I often don't want to know what people think because I find I other really people's opinions know. exhausting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. If you've got an opinion, start your own podcast. Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, especially after ha being a content creator for many mm -hmm. years now, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I get it. No matter what I say, someone's going to disagree. I get it. Mm -hmm. um, but this is an episode I would actually truly enjoy to know what other people thought yep. of this episode. Yep. And we still have a call out for Holodeck Kids. That's right. Why? That's right. <laughs> Let's go. 
<laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Um, all right, so next episode mm-hmm. is called Data Lore. Ooh. All right, comrades, we will see you on the next one. Okay, see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this Galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 